This is Out of Our Minds. Coming up next, part one of a discussion between pastors Tim and Jake and myself, Nathan Alverson, on Russia. We are not discussing the Russia-Ukraine situation, but rather things that we can learn from Russia. It's an interesting discussion. It goes a lot of places, some of which have not a lot to do with Russia proper, but I think you'll be edified. So give it a listen and give New Geneva Academy your attention. New Geneva Academy partners with the local church to equip men called to the pastorate and eldership and to help church leadership implement a faithful vision for church growth. We do distance education, local mentoring, and tailored in-person training. Via these means and others, NGA is training the next generation of pastors for historically reformed churches. So check us out at newgenevaacademy.com. My topic for us today is what we have learned from the Russians. Jake and I are big Tolstoy fans. Yeah. We've been going through Anna Karenina again yep. for our other podcast. And Tim, pretty much every time I see him, which isn't as frequently now, he's going to quote from Solzhenitsyn or he's going to talk. You were for several years, maybe you still are, we're reading Stalin's biography. Three volumes? Two volumes? Kotkin, my brother David, turned me on to it. And so I've read the first two volumes and I'm very much anticipating the third one coming out. And will this be the final? Or Yes. Okay. And so I wanted to talk about, now we don't, we're not huge Dostoevsky fans. True. Here. So we're not, I don't know, maybe Tim's a big Dostoevsky fan. I am actually. And probably not a giant Tolstoy guy. Oh, I love all the Russians. Turgenev, fathers and sons. Yeah, we read that just in the last year. And then also a couple of years ago, I read Gogol, Dead Souls. Well, what is it about the Russians that attracts the three of us? Are we just pretentious snobs? That's a good question. I think so too. And well, I'm not, they're different. I'm, Part of it is Russia, it's just so unique to be situated between Asia and Europe and to be neither. And so they're close enough to us in our own European heritage to relate to, but just also otherly enough that it gives them a very different angle on life. And then they've had such a unique history. So you read Tolstoy and you deal with his perspective on Napoleon or the trajectory of Europe, France, England. They have just culturally just something they're coming from someplace different by being dead, by being 100, 200 years old. You take the otherliness of Russian culture, the Russian experience and Russian perspective, and it allows you to see that much more of yourself, of your own history and where things are headed. They did the whole Marxist takeover thing 100 years ago. And socialism many years before that, the Russian Revolution. And the end of feudalism, though, what? 150 years ago yeah. I mean, well, in all of the drama around all of that yeah <clears throat> but i wonder how much different that well go ahead they have their feudal system we have our feudal system we have our wage slaves and we have our aristocrats and so do they and when i read about the muzaks and the serfs and all that stuff i don't actually find it to be that foreign we have upward mobility even today that they don't have mm -hmm. we can jump casts to some degree 
to some degree. Well, and it is the great American narrative, you know, Asia Alger's Lincoln's log cabin, all that stuff. But how many of us think that we can aspire, let alone attain the eminence of Tim Cook or Ellen Musk? Right. How many of us actually jump? When I read even a Jane Austen novel, I'm like, this system isn't that different, actually, because most of us land somewhere around where we were born or we move up one level. It's relatively rare to move up well, in several levels. And that's in, still the fairy tale that it is in Jane Austen. And you can have that imposed on you by the idea that I should not marry down and maybe I should aspire, to, but I need to be careful about how high I aspire, like the way that English class works in a Jane Austen novel. And you could strip all of that structure away, but the reality is that's how we function. That's how we work. And water tends to find its level in terms of who we marry and the circles we run in and things like that. God sets the level of the water. Yeah, exactly. And I'm talking about nature and nurture. It's really a fantasy. And one of the ways you know this is by reading the literature about public education improvement. And it doesn't matter how many students per teacher, how many psychologists you hire, it's what curriculum. Inevitably, what it shows is that the kids that do well have a family meal every day. That's it. You can add to that a little bit. Maybe they have books in the home and they sure. get read to and stuff. But it, we, do they I mean, have a father in the home? One. Do they have family the, meal? Yeah, Two. Yeah. But do really, they graduate high school? But really, Three. it is a family meal. That is the number one indicator. Yeah, yeah. It, but you can, so you can come at it from education. You can also come at it from the angle of marriage. So I was reading this story the other day, and I won't be able to find it to look it up. But it was about how this couple, they had an arranged marriage situation in India, and they like escaped the arranged marriage situation because they were going to do their own thing. And then they found each other on Tinder or someplace, and they fell in love, and they got married and come to find out, like all on their own, and then eventually come to find out they were the exact people that their parents had arranged for each other to marry. And it's like, this is just like the apple never falls far from the tree, and we are shaped so much by the station that God appoints to us and by See, the way that we're nurtured. That's the word I didn't use but was thinking. We have bought into this notion that God doesn't make stations, and right. that we don't have an obligation by the station he makes. And the principal way that we see that is with sex. Sex is a station. It's assigned by God at the moment of conception. And we live in this fantasy land of thinking that we can dispense of the stations. You see yesterday in the news that Utah's governor, did you see this? No. Utah's governor just signed a bill that says that they will not allow gender changes gender reassignment surgery well it's that plus hormones okay yeah and it was so funny because i'm reading this thing and it says gender change therapy or gender mm -hmm. change and i'm thinking oh this is what al moeller and the association of certified biblical counselors are against too right they're against <laughs> reparative therapy reparative therapy and so literally i'm reading this and i'm thinking Oh, well, another one bites the dust. And then I realize that in this case, this is a horrible thing, and the media is up in arms. And it's like, na, 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 you know, <laughs> it's like, how do I know which I'm dealing with? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so this whole thing, Station in Life, 
Yeah. It's a very serious thing that Americans think that our wealth, our education, our national political identity, our Horatio Alger, we can rise above being made a woman, being a made a man. We can rise above our social. Mm -hmm. We can rise above the educational level of our parents. We can rise above. Mm -hmm. The truth is we are the acorns falling from the tree. We yep. don't fall far. And the thing you guys started by talking about the issue of the serfs, the thing I think is, and you're talking about, you really don't have that much trouble relating to it. Well, if you've read Charles Murray's Coming Apart, what, 12 years ago, I think that was issued. And it's a chronicling of something that now the liberals are actually starting to talk about. So now there's this two economists from, I want to say Princeton, a woman and a man who have done this paper that's getting a lot of attention that basically is taking Charles Murray, because Murray, he's probably the most hated <laughs> conservative in the country by liberals. They've taken basically the same statistics he's taken. What they're showing is just the suicidal self-loathing and hatred of our serf class in this country, which is largely comprised of MAGA people. Yep. And it's men who have not been to college. It's men who work with their hands, and they're killing themselves through drugs. They're killing themselves by going on disability, by painkillers, by alcohol, yep. and just kill killing themselves. Yeah, straight up suicide rates are just... And the divorce rate, the consumption of lottery tickets, yep. of cigarettes, of Methamphetamines. Beer. Yeah, methamphetamines. Fentanyl. Meanwhile, the liberals who have created the culture that causes these guys to die. Yep. The liberals are being very careful to get married and stay married. Yep. In other words, now what do you call that but a serf class and aristocracy? Yeah. What now, they, what, I know I'm being dicey here. No, I think what is being sold to young men is this whole package of... I was just reading yesterday... Okay, check this out. I'll have to look this up to remember where I got this statistic. But there are three factors that go into poverty. If you hit three benchmarks, just these three benchmarks, your likelihood of being below the poverty line is 3%. If you're a man, graduate high school, get a full-time job, and be on a trajectory towards marriage. Be pursuing marriage. You don't even have to get married. You just have to have that be your aim. If you hit those three benchmarks, there's a 97% chance that you will be above the poverty line hmm. and a 93% chance that you'll be married by the time you're 30 or something like that. And so you hit those benchmarks, just graduate high school, get a full-time job and pursue marriage. You avoid poverty and you establish a baseline level of stability. But everything in our culture is aimed at destabilizing the family and destabilizing men. And so it's drugs, it's porn, it's don't pursue Marriage, don't pursue any kind of, let's stay at home with your parents, don't leave and prioritize establishing your own independent home or anything like that. It's just float off into the ether. And men without a mission, without a goal and without hope, what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? We're supposed to be talking about Russia. <laughs> and we are. <laughs> Well, <clears throat> we're talking about the similarity of the United States. We like to look at Russia as being the down and out side of Europe or the exotic hybrid of Europe and Asia 
or the non-exotic, the troglodyte hybrid of Asia. The one that's beneath us. (laughs) The worst of all possible worlds. (laughs) (laughs) The worst of Europe plus the worst of Asia gives you Russia. None of the exoticism on either side, actually. But I want to make a comment about this issue of those three indicators because there are young men listening. And I want to say to you young men that Lenin was right. Love is all you need. L-E-N-O-N. The, yeah, not Jay Leno. He's got a bunch of broken bones. Well, now. no, I thought you meant, I thought you meant Vladimir. Vladimir Leno. No, not <laughs> the context. There are many ways that men of a certain character today are telling young men to get it together. Okay. I don't follow those worlds, but it is what I've given my life to doing, which is to working with young men and young fathers. And the thing I feel so strongly is that love is what you need. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And you cannot simply fear God. I always have this picture of a little toddler running up to her dad, and then cringing and shaking, and then jumping into his arms. That's the way a father's supposed to be. He's supposed to be scary and the safest thing in that little one's life, both at the same time. Your story about, tell your story, because that's a perfect story about you saying stop. Remember that? Yeah, well. This is probably like a decade ago now or something. Yeah, maybe. Do you even Um, remember it? Yeah, this was Lucy. Yeah, so she was a toddler. By God's grace, we'd done a good job of just teaching basic things like no stop and come. And so she was out running or whatever in the front yard in our apartment complex, and she started to run towards the street. This is not necessarily a nice apartment complex. And people would zoom in and zoom around. As she was running towards the street, somebody turned the corner and was zooming down into the parking lot. And I yelled at her, stop. And she stopped dead in her tracks and she turned around and just melted into tears and started crying but she came to me just like crying and shaking she had no idea Mm. that what she heard was fatherhood yeah a loud forceful authoritative Mm. stop and she heard and felt i'm in trouble i've done something wrong and maybe she would have stopped on her own it didn't matter there was a car coming and she had to stop she had to listen to me at that moment or else. And it was all about protecting her. She had no idea. And she, I don't know that I've ever told her that story. The reason I wanted you to tell it is that I feel sympathy for young men today because a combination of pornography, of the absence of authority and the pastors that preach and teach them, of their own fathers, their fathers absent from their home, young men today, so many of them really don't understand the school of godliness that marriage and fatherhood is. And so instead of loving a woman and following God's pattern that he's written into us from Adam on when he brought Eve to Adam, we have these notions of, well, I should, and I will, and I should, and then we have gurus who tell us, you're right, you should, and you will, and you should. And there's no love. Mm -hmm. There's just fear of not being a strong man. And so you address that fear and get gurus. But honestly. Gurus who sell you a process. Or tell you what to think 
or yeah. tell you to work out. And I'm not against, I lifted weights when I was in college and actually did pretty well. And I have good shoulders and I always would arm wrestle all the men in my church and there was only one or two of them that could beat me, <laughs> okay? But honestly, we have to remember that what gives us godliness is bearing the weight that God made us to bear. And right. that's to love a woman and to love her without a condom, without the cowardice of lack of vows and with a condom. The Both of them are similar. Mm-hmm. You know, you're stealing from a woman when you don't give her a child and you have sex with her. Now, I know that sounds crazy to everybody listening, but that's always what men have said to each other throughout history. And if you go back and read the Reformers, Martin Luther will talk about what the sin of Onan was, that he stole the pleasure of a child (laughs) by pulling out. And so what we have to realize is that God has intended man to love woman and to take the initiative and to make her his wife and to give himself to her children so that they're safe, because that's his love for his wife. As soon as they get married, she wants children, and then He has to provide for them. And all these things just start adding up your whole life until now at 69, I have 29 grandchildren. And it's like the weight of knowing the names, number one, number two, knowing the character, number three, running a place where everybody can be for a week. We do that a couple times a year. This is the manosphere. This is life training to love a woman. God intends us to love him and to love a woman. And Christian faith comes out of those things, manhood. Well, all of that is at every step along the way, embracing more responsibility. That's right. And so you start by taking responsibility for yourself and learning self-discipline and self-control and pursuing something in life that is worth pursuing. And then finding a woman. We used to talk about taking a wife and a wife being given in marriage. But taking a wife who can be a helper to you as you pursue what God's made you to pursue and loving that woman and then having that love be fruitful. And as you grow in leadership and responsibility, God gives you more responsibility. He gives you more children and you grow in stature in the community. And those things run in parallel. So, and so long as you are committed to bearing the weight of that responsibility, you grow naturally in leadership. Yeah, I just want men to be very careful to not think that you need to learn self-discipline, you need to have daily devotions, you need to go lift weights, you need to take a job and not quit it. All before you ever, yeah. And what I want to say is, I never was disciplined with studying until I was married with a child. Until you had responsibility. I mean, seriously. All of a sudden, I stopped getting report cards that says, does not work up to capacity. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it didn't happen until I got married and had a child. I'm either going to be unfaithful or I'm going to be faithful. Well, that's an easy decision to make. And so what I want to say to men is maybe the most important thing for you is that you realize that the essence of manhood is responsibility. You are a man. You are responsible. But every man knows the men that don't take responsibility, and some of them are the ones that are most popular in the manosphere. There are men that you just look at, and this is a stuffed shirt. This is a man without a chest. He's teaching men. It's all bluster. Yeah. 
But no the very level that he claims to have authority about what a man is shows that he doesn't know what a man is. Mary Lee and I have noticed through the years that some of the worst fathers in our church are the men that are most masculine. And Mary Lee keeps saying to me, how does this happen? On the work site here in the military, they're all men, men. And yet when it comes to their children, they're weak. The reason they're successful in all those other places is because they're driven to be successful out there by their impotence in their home with their uh, wives and kids. That may be true. I think that's absolutely. So you can be driven, yeah, but you can be driven by <laughs> your need and desire to take responsibility for your wife and kids to go out there and conquer the world, or you can be driven by your impotence in your home with your wife and with your kids, with yourself. Real man to go out. And conquer the world. When I look at a church and I look at the people in my congregation, the real men, the way I judge it is the real men, their children, boys and girls, only have eyes for their father. Now, I don't mean they don't have eyes for their mother, but their mother turns the children's eyes to their father because the mother has eyes for her husband. And then you look at a guy like Tom Brady, and he's just such a perfect parable of everything that's wrong with the manosphere. He's incredibly disciplined. He's extremely successful. He's very handsome. All this stuff. And then look, this year, he chooses a game over, over his life. family. Yeah, yeah. And everybody would say, well, he's very responsible. He leads his players, but he couldn't- Lead his home. Bear up under the responsibility of life. Yep. Yeah, I think that you have men who excel in the world precisely because they're driven by the fact they have no ability to discipline themselves or to lead their wives and kids. They feel deeply their insecurity and their impotence in here. And they're very talented men. Oh yeah, very talented. And they exercise all, all that talent and use all of that impotence, all of that fear, all of that insecurity to go out into the world and find their place that they can control and drive themselves forward. Or you have men who are also highly successful who have the ability to discipline themselves and lead their wives and lead their children and lead their homes. And it just, that, that's just what happens. They take responsibility everywhere. And so they but have the natural field, leadership. The fields that we love, I mean, I like art and literature and movies mm -hmm. and stuff. And you mm -hmm. read the stories of the great authors, for example, and it's just a joke. It's every one of them, whether it's Tolstoy, whether it's Hemingway, whether it's Arthur mm -hmm. Miller, whether it, it's always the same story. And it's always the story yeah, that you're telling. It's it, always it's just always like- It's always sports too. It's yeah, like Michael, jo Michael Jordan is the perfect example of this, right? Like why is Michael, Michael Jordan is incredibly talented and was incredibly disciplined and incredibly driven. And you listen to the man talk and you listen to him talk about the man was maniacal because he had no self- Control. He was a man without a chest. He was a man without a chest. And, and so he was out hero. there proving it and driven by his demons and learning to channel his demons instead of conquer them. Learning to channel and give in to those demons and point them all in the one direction of being the best basketball player on earth as if that matters at all. While being a horrible husband and a horrible father and addicted to gambling and all kinds of other things in his life where he had no control over himself. But he could control what happened on the court. Yeah, but I keep wanting to go back to this issue of men listening. I, and I really hope that we will cast a vision for love being what motivates you to be disciplined, what motivates you to bear responsibility. 
I think I can take a crack at that because yeah. this whole time what I've been thinking, we were talking about class when we started this discussion. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about Russia and then we talked about class. And I am actually a class jumper. Yeah, I'm nouveau middle class and my wife is nouveau middle class. We jumped. And if people that know us well know that because there's plenty of tells. If you don't know me that well, I hope you wouldn't be able to tell maybe. But if you like me on the podcast, probably part of what makes me interesting is that. And the way that it happened for me was love of two women, you could say, and one of them would be Meredith and one of them would be the church. And bearing responsibility, being given responsibility for both of them is what enabled me to get my life together. I resonate with Tim when he says, I didn't get good grades before I had responsibility to bear. It's just like, I can't do things. It's not a good thing about me, but I cannot do things in the abstract. I cannot say, I'm going to do this because one day it will pay off. I have to have a motivating thing that's actually connected in some tangible way. Well, this a love. Yeah. Yeah. It's true of me too. I was an incredibly undisciplined person. Uh, Even early years of marriage, I would say the thing that has driven me to become the most self-disciplined I've ever been in my life is coming to plant a church and having more responsibility on my shoulders for myself, my family, and for other people than I've ever had in my life. It's like, I can't do this without becoming self-disciplined. I can't compartmentalize my self-discipline anymore. I have to become self-disciplined in every single part of my life where this doesn't work. This church doesn't thrive. It doesn't get off the ground. I'm not able to provide for my family. It just does not work. And so I have to attack everything in my life where there's weakness, where there's a lack of self-control, where there's a lack of self-discipline, because the weight of responsibility will crush me otherwise. And that's a good thing to be in that yoke. Mm -hmm. I want this church to thrive. I love this church. I want my family to thrive. And so it is true that marriage is a pressure cooker. Kids amp up the pressure. And the more leadership and responsibility that you drive into the more you have to respond and the more you have to grow. But I would say if there's somebody, if there's a young man listening who's 17 years old, who's coming from complete poverty, spiritually, physically, in every way, who's coming educationally, who's coming from pornography, if you can get married tomorrow, great. But the first thing to do is go and help set up chairs. Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Because that's a love. You don't think of it as a love. You think of it as a discipline. But don't be so stingy with your thought patterns. Because if you're going to reduce everything to being self-disciplined, you're going to live a very narcissistic life. What you have to do is think of responsibility and learn to love the fact that God made you a man and that based on your actions, successive generations will be blessed or cursed. Successive generations of the church. We're all either stealing from our fathers or adding to them. And that's responsibility. I don't know. We started on Russia, but I want to tell something about when my life changed, which was I was young, I was good looking, I was articulate, well read, and very good at flirting with women and talking to women in a way that they knew that I cared about them. And I actually did. And I was not walking with the Lord, and I was not betting women. Okay. But I was decadent. And all of a sudden I was out in California, everything, Robert Pierce, Zen and Aaron Motorcycle, they tipped the country up on edge, Mm -hmm. everything without roots slides to, to California. And without going into the details, well, I think I have to, 
My life was working for the Wittenberg Door, used specialties, doing their shipping and packing and mailing and all that stuff of the magazine, all this other stuff. And at night, I would always eat at Taco Bell. This was back in 1972. And I went to La Mesa College. I lived in La Mesa. Actually, that might not have been. Yeah, I think that was the name of the college. It was a junior college. And I lived in this house in the hills with no houses near it. And guys on dirt bikes would ride up and down the hills around the house. And I had a little garden with a bunch of tomato plants. And I had a water bed. And I had my albums in stereo. And what I would do is I would go to work. I would come home, I would weed and tend my garden, and I would have my Advent loudspeakers blasting out the windows. It didn't bother anybody. I had no neighbors, and it was always the dark side of the moon. It was always Pink Floyd, or yes. And then if people had dope, I'd smoke it. I'd have dinner at Taco Bell. I'd go to sleep reading James Michener novels. I'd get up, go back to work. This was my whole life. And all of a sudden, I realized that Anytime I was with a group of people, I was a leader. It hit me one day that I could not escape the fact that I was a leader. And of course, I was doing everything I could not to lead anybody. I was not spending any time with anybody. But as I look back over my life, I realized that I had harmed men and women by the things that I had not done and the things I had done. And that so far, my life had been a life of denying my responsibility. Now, I know that some people listening will say, well, I'm not a leader, but that's not the key point. The key point is all of a sudden I realized that God had made me responsible for the people that I'm around. Okay. And I'm single at the time. And it came over me suddenly that I will either be judged by God for the harm I've done or commended by him for the good I do. But there's nothing in between. I can't deny that I am, as a man, let alone as a leader, a force for either good or evil. Yep. And I loved the people that I had hurt as I sat there thinking about the people that I'd hurt. It's like, I was so shamed and embarrassed. And if I were to tell how I hurt them, most of the things you'd think, well, that's not really consequential. But it was consequential. And so... I really want to get back to this. Everybody will tell you what manhood is. I spent my life listening and reading people telling me what manhood is. And I have never, ever liked the definitions. But if we'll love God and we'll love woman, which is what God intends man to do, there is a blessed inevitability about the trajectory of our lives. We need to do what God made us to do naturally. And if you're a man out there saying, well, there's no women who are left who are, will, will love a man, I say, you're an idiot. Yeah. You're an absolute idiot. The world is filled with women who will absolutely adore you if you simply show that you're capable of being a good father. And they will adore you by fighting you like a cat. <laughs> and that's the nature of marriage. <laughs> As you're talking, I'm thinking about youth group, which I lead at our church. and the thing that I always want and that I often do say to the young men in youth group is you all have so much power and you have to take responsibility for it because you will either help or hurt yeah, me yeah. and my ability mm -hmm. to communicate to this dopey little youth group. I was actually talking to yeah, a young man that, that often talks to his friend, like they'll whisper to each other, 
uh, during the sermons at church. And I was just saying, you need to pay attention to Pastor Jake when he's talking. And you think that I'm going to tell you it's because you need to listen and you need to hear this stuff. I could care less about any of that. But there are people that are keying off of you, up to and including the pastor, who's going to be demoralized if he sees you whispering. And I've been up there and I've preached. And if there's a 14-year-old kid that's whispering to his friend, it's demoralizing. It steals something from me. And so it's like there is no man, whatever age, whatever weight, whatever ugliness, whatever natural leadership qualities that cannot bear and does not need to bear real responsibility in the church, in the youth group, in the workplace, and in any of these places. But for me, it's especially visceral in the youth group because it's like, here I am, and I'm like, let's play a stupid youth group game. And suddenly, I'm at the mercy of a 14-year-old boy who everyone else is going to key off of whether he thinks it's stupid or not. And do I want to be at his mercy? No. But is it true, whether I want to be or not, that I am, that if he has mm. a sour attitude, everyone else is going to have a sour attitude, mm. that people, that all the giggly little girls will key off of him? It's absolutely true. And so you want to tell people you have to be done with any kind of faux, unhelpful sense of humility about yourself. You need to realize that you actually have great potency, whether you want to or not, that you bear a lot of responsibility, whether you want to or not, simply because God made you a man, simply because of the station that he's put you in. And you can do something good with it or you can do something bad with it. But It's just like what you say to a young man. The question is not whether or not you're the head of your home. The question is if you're a good one or a bad one. And the question with a young man is not if he has any potency at all. It's what's he doing with it? Where is he spending it? Is he giving? Is he taking? And so to go back full circle, can we go back to why God made Eve? God made Eve for Adam to not be alone. And Adam loved her and issued a poem spontaneously. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, for she was taken from Ish. And men, cultivate your ability to listen to romantic songs, to read romantic literature, to watch romantic movies. Because that will make you more a man than watching Fight Club, okay? Fight Club might get you back in touch with parts of your manhood that society doesn't want you to have. And there's some value in that. I remember when Fight Club first came out, somebody came up to me and said, oh, man, you've got to watch Fight Club. And I think to this day, I have never watched it. But I've watched enough to know it. It's like they go down into a basement or something and hit each other or something. Yeah, that's pretty much that's it. Pretty yeah. much <laughs> it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you feel impotent and disenfranchised? Let's get together and beat up on each other. And Well, of course, that's what gangs are. Right. Gangs are fatherless men who want to have a family. And so because they're men, the family is built around violence. And, because they're uh, angry. Men. And Yeah, and a pecking order that is more vicious than a chicken coop. Yep. 